Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and arrived at episode number 446. Or as the infected would say, I'm Keith. <laughs> I'm Sean. I understood that because I was bit. But oh, never, good. Yeah, I'm glad so. you could understand that. It's a really witty open if you're infected. It was actually pretty good. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. Other than infected. Uh, yeah. Infected. I'm infected. I'm apparently getting over a sinus infection. Ooh, <laughs> yuck. Not fun. So you're our patient zero then? Well, ostensibly. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we don't know that for sure. Do you have a good week otherwise? Did you guys do anything? Apparently not. Well, let's move on to news. <laughs> I don't think we did anything this week. Or a couple of movies, but... That's my line. <laughs> oh. No, I watched, uh, I did, I watched um, Bride of Frankenstein. Huh. Eh. <laughs> There's nothing pleasing this guy. This that's the bad. that's the best Frankenstein movie out there. And yeah. if he if he's just meant on that one, he's got I wouldn't go on. Really? <laughs> no, oh would, yeah, definitely not. I wouldn't go on. I uh, I I the, the They're all great from a Universal Monsters sure. perspective. No, I, I, I get that. No, I no, I appreciate I mean it for going on. <laughs> oh, going forward. Yeah, going forward. But they get really campy and See, I felt that way Silly. about this one. Oh, really? Oh, he's got tiny people in jars. I mean, yeah. Yeah. My experiment was this. It's like, and that's cool. I don't know if you'll like uh, that other movie I lent you. Then, <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you lend him? The Island of Lost Souls. Oh, uh, it's too late. I've had it for a year, so I'm going to watch <laughs> it this year. <laughs> but no, I, I just. I, I there were moments of it that were I feel even better than the first, and almost all of them dealt with the the science of the, the the creation of the monster, the fact that we get to see the kites roll out and the lightning and the all of that was super impressive and way cool and just amazing. Um, the rest of it was so over dramatic melodrama acting, and I mean I understand that was the time and that was you know what they were going for. Well, that's what they were going for, particularly with that film. Yeah. But it, 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 it just was such a hotbed of way too much. Huh. It was fun to see where young Frankenstein got the two halves of its plot from, <laughs> from those two movies. That's, but, true. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, it, it, it was just okay. And then I, uh, The Omen was a new one for me, but we'll get into that. And uh, there was one other one this week that I watched that I'd never seen before. Patient Zero. <laughs> there was one other one that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> If I think of it, I'll mention it. We went and saw Dora and the Lost City of Gold. <laughs> How was that? I liked it. It was a lot of fun. It's not a great movie. It's not a good movie by any means. But I, I liked it because it, I was in that I'm I'm in that parenting age of my kids grew up with Dora the Explorer. That was Caitlin especially. That was her show. I mean, she watched that religiously. We had tons and tons of DVDs. We knew all the songs by hearts. We had we would listen to the songs in the car, and it was one of those kids shows that 
Like there were a lot of shows she watched that, you know, I would have to leave the room or put her in a room by herself so that, <laughs> because I just couldn't talk. But Dora was one of those ones where I, I, we, we liked the songs we enjoyed it. I could watch it over and over again. So from that nostalgia point, it's a fun film. But I can't imagine anybody not having watched Dora or known enough about Dora to go watch that film. It would have just been – I, 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 I would feel for anybody that was in that situation because it is a lot of meta-referencing – for the the cartoon um it's got a few trippy moments and it's it's really over the top but i, I didn't expect any less in fact for i expected a a, i expected a little more um but I, I i it's very clever in the way that it deals with <laughs> what is the line she says right at the beginning when she she turns to the camera and addresses the audience can you say what is it she says <laughs> and they're like <laughs> Can, can you say death by toxicity or something? That's why to that I have something like that. Yeah, <laughs> because she's talking. Oh about no, she says, "Can you frog. say toxicity?" <laughs> she's talking about this poisonous frog. Mom and dad stops. are looking like. Can you say toxicity? Who is she talking to? <laughs> it was great. I mean, it, it gives a little bit away, but it, it opens up with backpack talking and map talking and all this stuff, and it, it's it's the opening song, live action, and uh, but. Then cuts to the kids in the Jeep, you know, pretending. And so you think, oh, this is what this is. They're setting this up as, you know, this was this is kind of her imagination. <laughs> she really is an explorer. She doesn't do anything. So it's her admiration. But she, a lot of this stuff is all in her mind. Until Swiper the Fox shows up really later. And I thought, well, how are they going to explain this? And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's voiced by Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> That's Eva Longora plays the mother. Um, uh, Michael Pena plays Michael the Pena. plays his, her dad. Uh, the gal that plays Doro, I thought she was dead on, just spot oh, she on. She was fantastic. I, I really, we had a, uh, the kid. We, we took the kids yesterday, and we just all really we laughed and giggled at it. And it's not meant to be taken serious. It really feels like a Nickelodeon film that you would see on Nickelodeon, not something that would be in the big in the, on the big screen. Mm. Um, it's just that level. But that being said, the special effects are pretty good. I thought boots, the CGI for boots could have been done better. But overall, it's, it's you know, they did movie quality stuff in it or big screen quality stuff in it. I liked it. I, I, I like it, when they get DOS. It's, uh, it's not one that I'm going to recommend people run out and see. <laughs> get DOS with the hallucinogenic pollen and <laughs> it actually turns animated. <laughs> Because they're talking And everybody to each other. shows up. Benny, Issa, <laughs> everybody. Uh, and I remember was... saying, now, I'll be honest, when we went to see, because you know, we didn't, other than maybe a passing reference to the kids, I, I don't know anything about Dora. Um, Mel didn't, it wasn't one of their shows either. And so I'm pretty sure they lost Mel right at the beginning with the talking <laughs> map. She kind of checked out at that point and sat there like this through the rest of it. I was still laughing along, kind of going, I bet if I understood the show, this probably was really good, but... It's just not my demographic. I yeah, understand no, that. Yeah, no, it totally yeah. isn't. But yeah, uh, Swiper, that was the one that just. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we kept waiting for the shooter drop. Are they going to explain why there's a masked talking fox? Now, wait and wait. Then they really didn't even address it. <laughs> but it wasn't until the end, after we walked out there, and I told Holly that, and she said, "Yeah, but you saw the opening." And I was like, well, "What do you, you mean, like the the songs you know right at the beginning?" I said, "All the events in this story are true." except for the fox. foxes are not swipers. 
And she said, to me, that was the explanation oh, for everything. I, and I thought, you know what? I think you're right. That's exactly why they put that at the very beginning. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> okay, that fixes that yeah. for me. <laughs> of course, then they had the big dance number at the end. So. <laughs> well, of course you do. Anyway, it was it was fun. I, 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 I quite enjoyed it, and I would see it again. I don't think I would own it, but I would see it again if it was on Nickelodeon or something. Anyway, that's all I saw. I actually got to talk about a movie this week. So huh. We didn't watch anything this well, week. Well, look at so. that. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, you hadn't seen that I one? I had never seen that one. Wow. Yeah. What did you think of that? I liked it. it. I mean, it doesn't add anything new to the Dracula myth and legend. It's, it's pretty much, you know, the story. But the fact that, I mean, it's this big gothic romance, and as it goes on... Um, I mean, it, it's so richly shot, and it's it's just gorgeous. And then I, I found out afterwards that, yeah, everything was done in camera. There's not a single special effect in the, mm-hmm. you know, current vernacular right. in that movie. It's all done in camera. It's all done with, uh, you know, if there was a matte painting, it was a double exposure that right. was set up with it. It's all done with miniatures. It's all the real shadows. It's all, And that just completely blew my mind. So that was really cool. Yeah, I've always thought that was well done. I did watch a, a thing that compared all of the releases of Dracula, major releases of Dracula, to Bram Stoker's book. And it is the third closest to the story. It got it gets dinged for things that were added in that aren't part of the Bram mm-hmm. Stoker story. Mm-hmm. So, I can see that. so it, it had almost everything in there that's <coughs> in the story, but unfortunately the guy that was rating them took points away because they had embellished and added some stuff. Uh, there's actually a British one that is probably has the as the closest representation to the novel. So. Huh. I think I'd have to ding points for the British accents. <laughs> you, you mean Keanu's wasn't convincing? You know, that man Keanu's, doesn't age. <laughs> Keanu's playing a, a, a human in a vampire movie, which I think is just kind of, you know, <laughs> odd. Because I'm convinced he's immortal. All right, well, should we move on to news? Only one bit of news. Uh, Candy Jar Books has announced the next book in the Lethbridge-Stewart line in the Bloodlines series, The Shadow Man, written by Sharon Bidwell. So if that name sounds familiar, it's because she wrote A Very Private Haunting previously. And this serves as a sequel to A Very Private Haunting, set in an alternative 1978 where Lethbridge Stewart never took part in the London event and was never involved in the creation of units. Ooh. Now, A Very Private Haunting was the one in the hotel. No, the one in the manor house. Oh, where they crossed over into... Sam. Uh, yeah, he and Sam... Was it Samson? He and Samson and, and Chorley, maybe? Sw- moved yeah. over into the... In that bubble, in that yeah. weird yeah. bubble time, yeah, yeah. Okay. time okay. bubble, yeah, <coughs> yeah, okay. So you can you can read more details on the uh, on the book, um, but it's a lot of focus on Anne Travers in this in this story. Kind of a cool idea, yeah. And that's it. That's all for news. Oh, this can be pre-ordered. I guess that's the other bit of information I should pass along. So make sure you get yours pre-ordered now. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a world without unit. It'd be Inferno. 
(laughs) (laughs) Almost. All right, well, next up, let's do some feedback. Feedback this week comes from Jamie. He writes, hiya, Vortexers. Let's get going. Interesting thoughts on Eccleson. Enjoyed your comments. Didn't know he was on the con circuit. You may be right about the Tom Baker-Bill Shatner comparison. And I've gotten to your coverage of the time and the doctor and the explanations for the exploding TARDIS. Episode 151, Night of the Doctor was amazing. Despite it only being seven minutes long, it's still a great piece of Who, which showed modern audiences just how good Paul McGann could be. I'm interested to see how the Time War box sets lead up to it and how they'll work in the other Eighth Doctor stories that are set during the war. At the moment, as of August 1st, it has 5.5 million views. Quite impressive for a seven-minute clip. For the Tenth Doctor Revisited, I just don't remember it enough. However, for a retrospective of my own, that I can do. I really like the Tenth Doctor. I suppose that of the new series Doctors, I'd say he was mine. Granted, I started watching Doctor Who with Matt Smith and the Eleventh Hour, but shortly after that I went back and watched all the previous new series episodes and just really latched on to Ten. He's really, really fun. He's silly and goofy when he can be, and he's an energy about him that's contagious. And yet, when the mood calls for it, he can be cold and serious, just like that. I think the big thing with Ten is that his stories are fun, easy to follow, usually, and memorable. What is Ten's quintessential episode? Well, I don't know. Maybe Christmas Invasion or Runaway Bride. We get both sides of him in his first story, despite the Doctor barely being in it. Runaway Bride and Family of Blood, du- Family of Blood duology really showcase his dark side. Maybe School Reunion, too. There's just so many to choose from. Episode 152, and the 50th is upon us. The Last Day. I don't have any thoughts on this. It was fine, but just wasn't all that memorable. An Adventure in Space and Time, on the other hand. This was amazing. A truly heartfelt love letter to a favorite show that tells the show's rocky first three years. A true masterpiece. I actually just re-watched this at the time of this writing and was tearing up through most of it. Day of the Doctor. I enjoyed this one. I thought it was well done. Even though the search for Gallifrey wasn't completed for another two years in the Series 9 finale, (laughs) which I still don't fully understand, bringing a close to the Time War was well done, and the Zygons and Unit were used effectively. Do I wish that 9 had been a part? Eh, Maybe. But I think the War Doctor was probably worth the fan backlash at Eccleson. The War Doctor, despite getting only one televised episode, and one episode shared with two other very popular Doctors at that, is a very enjoyable and very much The Doctor. The War Doctor audios are rather good, despite sometimes just retreading Earth, particularly World War II war tropes. But I think John Hurt brings something to them. His chemistry with Cardinal Alestra, you'll get to her eventually, is superb. I just wish he'd gotten more before he... I just wish we'd gotten more before he passed. Would love to have more novels and comics featuring The War Doctor. A couple of short things. Is the moment a fragment of Clara... I don't think so. I think the moment is its own entity. As for the Time War at Big Finish, we're getting more and more Time War material from them. I think I'm enjoying the Gallifrey sets the most. I don't know if this is much exposure to the Time War is a good thing or not, but that said, I'm curious to see what they do with it. Episode 153, Light at the End. I really enjoyed this one. Unlike Zagreus, that was a confusing, continuity-laden mess... Light at the End handles multiple Doctors and Companions well, with a single villain to tie the plot together. I'm tempted to say that this takes the concept of dimensions in time and does it right. A Time Lord villain plots to eliminate the Doctor and nearly succeeds. 
but without the awful 3D, the EastEnders crossover, dubious special effects. Oh, and it had good acting, and the Doctor Companion pairings work well and don't just feel pointless. It also has the runtime needed to do the plot justice. Episode 154 in your Cybermen archive. In the news, you guys talked about brain implants that were under development. I think you mentioned they were being tested on mice. Does any of that remind you of Cybermats? <laughs> the Tenth Planet. I remember enjoying this one for the Cybermen, but the Doctor doesn't really do much. I don't remember if he actually had much to do with the resolution or not. I think at one point you predicted the Series 10 finale was using this design for the Cybermen. I do think that it's the best design, although I really like the Moonbase and Tomb designs as well. Also, you talked a bit about the regeneration and wondered exactly how it came about from an in-universe standpoint. Two main causes, and there may be more that I'm not capable of thinking of off the top of my head, are the Trilogic game and the Celestial Toymaker, where the Doctor becomes nearly invisible, and which was considered as a way to replace Hartnell at the time, and the energy transfers in the Savages. These, coupled with the energy drain of Earth to Mondos, is what causes the Doctor's body to wear a bit thin. It's not surprising that this is one of those bits of trivia you guys just didn't have access to at the time, as it all comes from completely missing the Savages, or mostly missing the Celestial Toymaker serials. And finally, spare parts. This is a really great story, one of Davidson's best, probably one of Big Finish's best, definitely high among the all-time greats. I've written about it more in my Big Finish review. It's one of those that's hard to review because while you want to gush all over it and talk about all the cool stuff, if you're talking with someone who hasn't heard it, then you're more likely to say, what are you waiting for, man? Go listen to it right away. It also has the distinction of being one of a handful of Big Finish releases to be released on vinyl. Lastly, episode 155. In the news, Chrissy talks about the location of Van Staten's vault on the Utah map in Prisoners of Time being weird because of her knowledge of the area. I had the same feeling watching Legends of, Tomorrow Blackbeard's, Legends of Tomorrow's Blackbeard episode. It takes place in the Caribbean, but when you're watching them bury the treasure, it looks very much like Vancouver. <laughs> there were palm trees, but they looked fake and too organized. I know how she feels. The 11th Doctor revisited. Well, it exists. I'm kind of the same way you guys are. They're nice for new viewers, and that's about it. As for Prisoners of Time 11 and 12, I enjoyed it. Great artwork. The team-up works well. I enjoyed the 11th Doctor issue being his hunt after Claire's abduction. It was really good. I think that's everything. Hope your hiatus went well. Keep up the great podcast. Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. All right. Well, uh, something else that dropped just a couple of weeks ago, speaking of missing episodes, um, is the missing episode that was recreated by the, uh, and I didn't bring along the name of the university <laughs> to edit it again to give them credit, but uh, by some university Lancastershire, students. wasn't it? Yeah, Lancashire. You're right. Lancashire. Lancashire. <clears throat> yep. You're right. I'm sure, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure there's 10 more syllables Yeah, that, well, but. it's University of something at Lancashire. So, yeah, but at least you got us halfway there. Um, so, but anyway, uh, that dropped on YouTube two weeks ago, and uh, we all got a chance to uh, take a look at it. Now, of course, we reviewed the reconstructed version of uh, Mission of the Unknown, so we have some familiarity with it. Um, we watched the animated, the off-the-shelf, uh, I think it was Ian Levine animation, uh, of the episode, which I think we all thought was, you know, a pretty good prequel to, um, I was, so I, I remember seeing, uh, set photos of this back when they were doing this last year. 
and was, you know, really excited that somebody was tackling this. But seeing some of the sets and some of the costumes, I thought, eh, you know, it still looks pretty, not quite what I imagined uh, these looked or even from set photos that I had seen from the original stuff. But I thought, you know, well, you know, good on them for doing this. When I watched this thing, I thought these guys went above and beyond, and you could see the love for doing this as genuine to probably what was there. Because I don't know if you guys watched the um, uh, documentary on it as well, but these guys actually had the shooting script that that they were going on. So they had all the camera move, all the camera shots, camera actions, everything marked and they really put a lot of love and care in this uh, production that they did. And it, 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 what really goes works for it is the fact that they, they did it in black and white. Yes. And uh, the costumes in it, I thought, were very good. And I think that they might have shown a little bit of their simplicity had they not been in black and white. But putting the black and white edge on it gave it just that. Yeah, this is looks like what costumes looked like in the 1960s. <laughs> this is what you know Varga plants would have looked like in in these episodes. And so, I I was I was immensely impressed by this and and how how much love and attention they gave this story. So was I. I was rather concerned about it, just to run the oh no, are they just gonna recreate it and film it in color and then release it? Because you know we've been getting the colorized version of all the animations too, and that seems to be the trend. And I was so happy to see that it was in black and white and so surprised and then was just blown away by the level of detail they went into recreating what it would have looked like at the time frame and not just do a flashy remake of this thing. They actually did a true remake, which I think is highly commendable. I would just like to add, dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Because, wow, was I impressed. I kind of had the same... I don't want to say necessarily fears, but being someone who, I mean, we've all made short films and you kind of know some of the dangers of, you know, getting into these waters and trying to mount a half hour short film is, that's that's daunting, uh, let alone one that involves, you know, special effects and props and th- this level of... of uh, technical merit but they they nailed it they just uh, you know uh, across the board the only thing that i could complain about the the opening shot of the daleks the first time we see them that model shot very much looked like a model shot only because the daleks didn't quite move right right and i don't care i you know especially after you watch the documentary and they explain that well that set was later used in uh, uh, the Dalek Master Plan extensively, but it's only in this one scene in this episode, so they didn't feel the need to build it. I wouldn't have built it either. I mm-hmm. totally don't fault them for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, everything about it was, was just so well done. Even the acting, I thought, was was really uh, e- exceptional. Oh, yeah. No, they were certainly on point with the actors. They were really, really good. Yeah, the, the main guy sold it Absolutely. I mean, I could have believed he was actually the guy who played it originally. Mm-hmm. He did such a good job. 
And it helps to have Nicholas Briggs come back and, uh, you know. Voice Daleks. Voice Daleks. <laughs> yeah. Is, is Nicholas Briggs the uh, the Doctor Who equivalent of Anthony Daniels? That just As long as you ask him, he'll say yeah. <laughs> that's and, probably. He'll come and yeah, do that's it. probably the case. We, we should have him on the show and say, can you do the thing? And he'll, yeah, I'll come do the thing. <laughs> we need some liners. But, um, no, just, just absolutely flabbergasted with how well it came together. And very pleased and impressed, and my hats off to all those people that were involved. Uh, and you know, every step of the way from doing it, and doing it in a, you know, not just with the shooting script so that the camera moves all matched up, but doing it in the format of we had a week to do this, we had this time for this, and you know, you could have really stretched that out and mm-hmm. played with it, but oh, no, yeah. they they went and did it like the BBC yep. would have done it and mounted yep. this production, and that in a way, lends to the authenticity of it and the overall feel, but it also just makes it that much more impressive to me. Yeah. I would I re- agree. I really hope that, although, obviously they put it out on the YouTube channel, so it is accessible to anybody. For, But I really hope that if they do something with Dalek's Master Plan, that um, they include this as a, either a, a special feature or a fill-in-the-blank for that story since that's probably a story we will never see recovered uh due to its nature of what it was and so i th- i would accept this as a fill in the blank with maybe a title card you know explaining for anybody that might buy the blu-ray down the line you know this isn't the actual one this is a recreation by actors and give them credit and everything uh, i'd love to see that included on a, a blu-ray set for um Whatever that season is for Dalek's Master Plan, I I, did, I totally would accept it. Absolutely, this would definitely be my recommendation for anyone wanting to watch this episode or Dalek's Master Plan. And if I go back and rewatch or reconsume Dalek's Master Plan as it is, I will sub this in happily for any reconstruction or animation. Now, I do encourage any. Doctor Who fan that has not experienced uh, Mission to the Unknown to to not overlook the audio uh, reconstruction of this. No, it's because it's, the audio it's, it's, does it's exist, and they do have the nice, uh, you know, narrating linking or linking narration that I think is included on the if you're managed to get a cold hold of the BBC Radio CD. Um, I would encourage anybody to get that to get the the authenticity. But as far as you know, this being something to look at to get an idea of the story as well i think that this would be the way to go to so now the question in my mind is obviously this is a special case because the doctor is not in this episode which makes it very easy in some regards to recast and remount it and and do it we've been very very pleased for the most part with the animated takes on missing episodes is there any part of you after seeing this that thinks it would be okay to remount and reshoot and refilm another missing episode of Doctor Who in the same manner and just recast? I think without, I think it only works because the Doctor's not in this one. I think that's the only reason why you can do it. I don't think I would want to see it um, recast as the main characters. The exception to that might be David Bradley stepping in, but I don't think... I I would rather see him do original stories instead of recreations of the stories that were missing. 
that's where I, I land on it. As I, I, I don't mind David Bradley stepping into the role to fulfill stories that are new, in, including the, the, the first Doctor. Um, even audio dramas that, that have him as the first Doctor. I think it's quite all right <coughs> to do that because we've lost all of most all of those actors that were there. And so it, it, realistically, this is how you continue the story. No, I don't want to see recasting and, and reshooting because I think that takes away from the the next best thing to having the original material is having the animation with the audio because the audio at least has preserved the voice of our characters mm-hmm. of our of our actors portraying these characters the performance is yeah still the performance there. is still there and the animation is in way uh, a way to uh visually give you a a representation a visual representation so no i would always rather have the original audio with animation over a recast and i agree with keith that this that's why i say for anybody that's into doctor who i would encourage them not to make let this mission of the unknown be their supplement for mission of the unknown i would hope that they would seek out the audio animation or even the loose canon recreations to have (coughs) the original actors' uh, performances on them, along with this. And at, at the very least, give that audio uh, uh, audio uh, version a try uh, so that you have the most purest form of the performances that were done in, in this historic episode. And then look at this as a visual representation. Um, but I agree with Keith because it doesn't have the Doctor or any of our familiar characters. It's just really kind of side characters other than the Daleks. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it, it works for this, but I wouldn't want to see it for anything else. I agree as well. I, yeah, you know, if, if we're going to, to do it, let's keep the, the, the audio from the original and have those performances intact and just use the animation as kind of a visual aid to uh, you know, smooth out the rough edges of the recon. <laughs> right. Now, if they wanted to you know, do new adventures that didn't feature the Doctor, I'm still waiting for the Space Force TV show. I'm... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Space Service. Space Service. Mm-hmm. All right, well, shall we move on to our reviews for this week's uh, Beyond the Doctor? Spooky time. Spooky, Spooky time. time. The omen. Mysterious deaths surround an American ambassador. Could the child that he is raising actually be the Antichrist? The devil's own son. Bum, bum, bum. We got a two for the price of one again. Yeah, we did. Sean's looking at me going, okay. Oh, yeah. Which, no, which yeah, We no. got a two doctor for the, the, the price the, of to one. The two doctors for the price of one. David absolutely right. Warner playing the doctor in the Unbound universe for Big Finish. And I didn't know David Warner was in this, so that was an added. <laughs> I had forgotten when we put this on the schedule because I, I, I went back and rewatched it this time. You know, have, I've seen the Omen, Omen a few times. I still love the movie. Think it's a, a terrific film. And I went back and I was watching this time, and I went, "Oh yeah, David Warner, of course, another Doctor." Bit of serendipity there. Yeah, the opening credits were were quite the uh, series of revelations for me. <laughs> like, oh hey, David Warner. This is a Richard Donner movie. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I wondered if you knew that. Too. I did not know yeah. that. So yeah, it was it was all all kinds of new stuff for me. 
Gregory Peck was probably the only one who went, yeah. I, mean, I know him. Yeah, I know him. He's a, Troughton, yeah. know him. <laughs> well, you know, Peck's always on the cover of the, the, the DVD or the disc or the mm-hmm. poster art, you know, so. Well, Leo McCartan was in it, too. I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, What'd you think? I enjoyed it. I, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's a very slow burn, which is, I, I think, appropriate for, for the story that it's telling. I liked the... Uh, it's very atmospheric and, uh, you know, just kind of how everything builds and builds and builds. And when you first get these little hints that something is wrong and you can see these characters are, they don't want to believe, but they do. It's already hit them at the core of their being that yeah. something's not right. But no, I'm being silly. I mean, even the mom, I need to see a, a, a you know, I need to see a psychiatrist. Take me to a shrink and 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 we'll work through this. And okay, yeah, of course. And just as it continues to build and build and build, and then it gets to the okay, let's go on this fact finding mission and see exactly what happened. Which I thought was a little weird that they didn't just go to the town that the priest told them about to begin with. You know, he said, "Go here, talk to this guy." And instead, we're going to make 15 stops on this round-the-world tour before we get there. But, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm well, down for it. Well, Thorne had forgotten because he couldn't remember the poem. Yeah, that's true. He couldn't remember the poem when he's trying to uh, relate that to uh, Bradley. Was it? No. David Warner. I think it was, I think it, <laughs> I think it was Bradley, Bradley, wasn't it? Um, and when he was trying to recount that, and he couldn't remember the name of the Jennings. town. Jennings. Jennings. And so he couldn't remember the name of the town either. And so it it came down to a. I think <coughs> Thorne is so put off by what first of all thinks is a blackmail scheme by the mm-hmm. priest, and then second these ominous warnings about his wife, his wife being in danger, and I think he was so off put by that that he didn't focus on what was really being said to him. So later, when it's important that he does go to this town and talk to this guy, he can't remember enough of it because they're going over, uh, Warner's reading the book of Revelation, and there are similarities to the poem, but he couldn't remember exactly what it was. So he said, well, that was in there. You remember? So he's, he's recounting it. So as they're going to look for these pieces to get to this point, they are having to rediscover. So that, that adds that element of discovery into the film, which... It would have made it a, a lot shorter film had yeah. he had he just remembered what the well, priest told him to do. If, if if the priest had been a little more direct, and I don't know, maybe don't lead with the poetry. Yeah, just may just, <laughs> just me. He was being a little enigmatic. You know, I know about your son. He, he it's not your son. The one you adopted is the Satan's kid. <laughs> There's a prophecy. Uh, you may think I'm nuts, but you know. That to me seems like a more logical approach than your wife's in danger. Well, what been, are you threatening me now? It wouldn't, yeah. as, wouldn't have been yeah. as, as esoteric though. If no, it would have been more dramatic. <laughs> Patrick Troughton still runs like a duck. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he took off Even running from that storm. Even when he's running from the devil himself. <laughs> I half expected him to do a little leap. Yeah, I know. Lightning bolts coming down. <laughs> 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 But um, no, I'm, now, again, from the the, uh, the the benefit or the curse of hindsight, good omens did it better. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, but now you get good omens a little yeah, bit more and, too. And, and, and good omens, <laughs> and Gaiman's always said that good omens 
is a parody. This is this is where the core oh, of the parody the comes from. Good omens. I get yeah. it. <laughs> this, this is where the core of the parody comes from. Yeah. And it's it borrows from this. It borrows a little bit from, uh, I think, The Omen 2, Damien The Omen 2. Um, but, yeah, there are, there are, that's where that all derives from. In fact, he and Pratchett sat down and said, you know, we ought to do an Omen's, uh, the Omen parody. And, and that's kind of where it snowballed to. So, yeah, there are, there are a lot of shades of, of good omens in this it has been it had been so long since i'd or seen this in good omens I guess. the omen that i didn't realize how much of it there was yeah. <laughs> especially in the beginning well the baby swap the yeah. the ambassadorship yeah. and you know all of that the, stuff uh the orphanage burning down the, yeah the, the hospital the hellhound showing up yeah. and you know okay so <laughs> who would have let this nanny stay <laughs> after the first go around of I'm not taking your kid to church <laughs> I mean are you insubordinate much I mean well I, uh... you're fired get out I'll dress him myself <laughs> and then oh as a dog I want him out of the house he's not out of the house you're gone that's two strikes lady no <laughs> Just me. Things okay. Weren't, things were, well, <laughs> true. Uh, no, I, I, I'm I, not an ambassador. Thing, I don't know. Well, the thing from, from today's society, and in America, yes, I think there is little tolerance for that in modern times. I think, well, this was, well, <laughs> it's kind of... <laughs> it's what, 76? Well, yes, this film was made in 76, and this everything was set in 76, but <laughs> I think... Once the next two movies go along, they almost kind of retroactively push this back to the 1950s, which doesn't work visually because (laughs) everything is 1970s. But anyway, that's a long story. But um, so but but in the even in the 1970s and then we're talking European culture, we're not talking American culture. So I I think these are Americans. there's, There's a little more tolerance for that kind of 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 attitude in society. If if they had been a a, a British family in the UK, I'd have been a little more accepting of that just because the the, the English are so damn polite that, (laughs) okay, yeah, you're not going to fire her today. Maybe a stern reprimand in in the... No. But but these are Americans. But they're they're living abroad, but They're Americans that have been living abroad, and this is... For a long time. Yeah, this is where they're learning society, so... I, I don't know. I mean, I had a can I, her I, so I, fast. I, I don't think it would have made a difference. I she still would have stuck around. I appreciate, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I appreciate that, that she was very curt with her, though, you know, about, no, this is my son. I'll make this decision. He's going to church. They later regret that decision. But well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the dog, too. I think the dog was pulled off real well because I thought the same thing. I saw you, you see the dog there and she hasn't taken care of it. He doesn't address it until the next morning. And she says. They've come and they've taken him. And so that appeases him at that point. It was like, okay, I could rationalize in his brain that she called him a couple of days ago and it did take them a couple of days to come out. Now it's instantaneously out. 30, 40 years, yeah, 40 years ago, maybe not so much. Good Lord, 40 years ago. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. 42? 44, 44 years ago. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. It's like, oh, well, all right, nice cover. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm still mad at you about the church thing, though. Oh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of more little issues in that, but um, no, I 
the first time I, I saw this film long ago, uh, probably in high school, maybe in college, for the first time on a recommendation of a friend of mine that was really in, I mean, he's the kind of the guy that got me hooked on horror films back in the day. I don't watch them so much anymore, but he, he, this was one of his top. He said, this is, this is one of the best horror films of all time. And so I had really high expectations for it. And I remember renting it and bringing it home and, and watching it and thinking, yeah, that's pretty good. But I, you know, I was used to slasher fi- uh, films. I was, you know, really hardcore horror films <coughs> back then. They're not either pretty tame now you watch them, but, um, and so I was like, yeah, it's a good movie, but it was, you know, I, I like it more in the line of, of uh, not even The Exorcist. I didn't even think it was as powerful as The Exorcist. It's not, but I did put it in that same category. Yes, but, yeah, and so that, but that's, and so, but years later than when I rewatched it, and maybe it, you, maybe you change your, your sensibilities as, a, as an adult, and maybe when you, especially when you have kids. I think that's the big difference. Yeah, you, you watch it, and it, it's it's much more transformative it's much more um powerful on your emotions and i really thoroughly enjoyed it that time that i watched it then i've seen it a couple times since thinking okay is this one of those that's going to stand up to you know i was it was okay you know 20 years ago more recently it was like wow that was really good is it going to stand up again and then when i watched it i think i watched it two halloweens ago when i was doing the movie things i think this was one of the films that i watched um and it really did stand up. And so this time I kind of thought, well, you know, if I don't get around to watching this one, I remember this one and know this film. Still pretty fresh. I can sit and, right. and re- review this. Um, but it was just, I don't know, uh, Saturday night. It was late. I didn't have anything to do. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna pop that in and watch it. And, and it still, it stands up for me. And I think it's of, of the horror genre, although I think it's more of a kind of a psychological thriller. But, if, but uh, as far as, you know, uh, a horror film it really stands up there in, in in the top echelon of my favorite horror films now <laughs> the next one's not so much but um and then i would encourage you to go on and at least watch the next two films now oh, the omen four the awakening <laughs> it was made for tv and it's considered the fourth in this franchise but it's not very good um, but, and to me, the Omen 3 kind of, to a point, closes out the series anyway. Um, but the next one's got, uh, Hal Holbrook playing Thorne's brother. And then the third one has Damon grown as an adult. Oops, spoilers. And, uh. I guess he makes it through the second one. Thanks, he is, <laughs> He's played, he's played by Sam Neill. Oh. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> any, so I, I any excuse you. for Sam Neill to be a bad guy? <laughs> now, they, the, the quality of the films and the storytelling kind of do go down, but it really does kind of form a whole story. Because this one, the way this one ends, is sort of the okay. That's one of the best things about this one yeah, is the I, ending yeah. of it. Yeah. I think in the in the third one, doesn't he run for president, or isn't he a candidate for? I know that no, just from the video no. cover. He is not. I don't think he's running for president. He's trying to. He's He's the president of a corporation, and he's trying to get an am- ambassadorship to the UK. Gotcha. Okay. And he's trying to get the job that his step or not step adopted, adopted father, father. Uh, once held. So. Gotcha. Okay. And, and 
I think with aspirations down the line of becoming president, yes. Well, because the, the, wi- the wife even said that in this yeah. film. That, but in, but in the, that, yeah. and that's that's that what he's trying to. Yeah, to that's what to he's there. trying to set him up himself up for is is the presidency. But the the next step <coughs> in this evolution is him trying to get the ambassadorship. Gotcha. So. And he may even succeed if I remember right. And surprisingly little horror in this horror film. There really is uh, other, other than the initial, you know, the deaths, which, which are gruesome. <laughs> that, a couple of gruesome. That, ones. that pane yeah. of glass. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Didn't see that coming. Quite literally. <laughs> um, but um, it's really just the sense of unease that they place in the film. I think Richard Donner does such a good job in direction of the of it in addition to the music, just sets you on edge the entire mm-hmm. time because it's such a foreboding, dark, visual, you know, atmosphere to the film that you're just like, oh, God, what is going to happen? What? And it's a movie that kind of you have to go into. They It, it almost comes across as you. they assume you kind of know the premise of it because it's kind of just dumped in. And I couldn't imagine watching this movie not knowing really what the premise was. Did you know it, Sean? Oh yeah, I'm, okay. I'm familiar with the you know. Right. Da- Damien is not a common enough name that it doesn't escape the aha. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. any time a child shows up in any fiction and it's named Damien, you go, mm. <laughs> you are not to be trusted, sir. <laughs> However, in in 1976, they would have relied on the they would have relied on knowledge of the biblical story. Right. Um, yeah. Revelation. Yeah. At that time, because yeah, that's true. This really kind of set the standard for the Antichrist type films. That's true. Uh, to come after this, and so well, and it's a, they relied heavily on people understanding the the story of Revelation and 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 what they had grown up learning in church about you know um, the esoteric scriptures. Well, and some of it I also didn't. I haven't gone to look at any trailers that were made for the movie, and I didn't know. You know, some back in the seventies, some of the trailers were a lot more revealing than they are now. The, the, the trailers leaned heavily, heavily, letting on you the know entry, that yeah, the he is the Antichrist. And yeah. so, I assume there was a lot of in that. Fact, they assumed you'd seen the trailer going into the movie. Yeah, sort of six 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 was very heavily used. In fact, yeah. down to the point where they use it in the uh, in the logo for the Omen in the in the O you see up in the corner, the, right. the birthmark sign of six six six. Which I thought that part, the the speaking of the birthmark, I thought they did a really good job with that. I didn't remember that aspect of, oh, I don't didn't see it on him. I bathed him. I know his body, and it's there under the hair, which was just a, just enough there to cause every, him to doubt himself. Every time I watched this, I would get to that point and think, well, when the when he was a baby, surely you would have saw that. Well, that's true. But unless there was a lot of he came with a lot of hair, you see. Uh, I watched for it this time, knowing okay. Every time I ask that question, I don't just rewind, but I ask that question. <laughs> That's in my a head, long way to go back. Well, how would you know? I'm sure he didn't have a lot of hair. If you go back and watch that baby, I watched this time. It's got a really dark set of hair. It's there's got a no thick way. head of hair. Yeah, there's yeah. no way you would. have I, I I even thought that watching that they brought this kid out, and I went, "Oh, he's got a lot of hair." That's like um, Katrina. <laughs> When she was born, she just had this, you know, dark shock of hair. Because I remember thinking that. And then, you know, it wasn't until later when they went, oh, maybe it's under his hair. And I went, oh, you know, <laughs> I didn't think of that. And I watched and, and, and the horror of, of seeing him, you know, cutting and, and, and 
weeding through and finding it and going, ah. And I think, you know, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the, the, the actor playing Damien. I mean, this kid was effective at being He creepy. was effective, yeah. Well, I think it's also effective because he's creepy, but he doesn't, there's not a lot for him to do. Yeah. No, they it's use just... him to minimal effect. And there's a lot of, there's almost a lot of innocence in his, in, in the diabolical things that he's doing right in fact he's not directly influencing them and that's that's one thing that the movie does really well also is it doesn't make it clear if he is causing these deaths or if it's you know satan himself intervening or god depending on who how you want to look at it making sure that he grows up i mean you don't know if it's him if there's something else Inter- stepping in to make sure that these things are happening. Well, it's like the first Danny throwing herself out the window. I, Damien was fairly oblivious to what was going on. Right. She was just apparently that affected by proximity to him. Yeah. That, that you know, it, it warped her to that point, which I thought was very effective. And then later when, um, when mom goes over the railing and he's riding the tricycle in a circle and the, the new nanny that should have been fired um, <laughs> is standing there and she's almost chanting or, you know, she, she's, she's vibrating with some sort of otherworldly uh, power. And you're not really sure if she's influencing Damon to kind of spin up and, 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 and tear off down this hallway, you know, or if it's Damien maybe, and she's just kind of caught in the throes of it or it's so ambiguous. And it was really yeah. cool to see how it was just, and that again, added to, his um his creep factor because you just didn't know was yeah. he really in control of all these things or not well and partially because of the the depth that good omens goes into with um the antichrist i i i interpreted the movie as it's you know his sphere of influence but not a conscience sphere of influence yeah like he's not consciously choosing these things but yes. they are threats to him that must be extinguished and if it's him or the devil who knows but it's happening well, it's, it's not cer- him consciously choosing to do it yeah it's cer- certainly an aura of influence i think is what's causing it because it's clearly not damon that's that's causing the evil that chases the priest Right. Uh, when the lightning's coming and things like that. The only one that's close enough that you could blame him for is the mother falling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or or even to the point of the, the animals at the drive-thru zoo that are reacting to him. Yeah. Um, that's an aura of presence, I think. I think that's, that's what, you know, him it, being the nature of who he is, anything in proximity is going to be influenced by that. And I think that's how indirectly he is. He's having an influence on his surroundings. Mm-hmm. So whether it be, you know, the, the uh, first nanny that commits suicide, whether it be the, uh, the acolyte, as they described the, the second nanny as, you know, yeah. uh, even, even you get the impression that uh, uh, Patrick Troughton and then the, 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 the priest, the other priest that they go to see that's been blinded, that, you know, got burnt in the fire, they obviously were acolytes of the same order at one time. Mm-hmm. Now they have both since, you know, they're trying to repent for their involvement in this. Um, but you have to imagine maybe that influence was, was there for them as well at one time. Yeah. So. 
has such a good movie. And, and, and Patrick Troughton, I think, does a great job. Yeah, the running was very, <laughs> very second doctor, but but he really sells that, that part. And this is the first, thinking back, yeah, this is the first one of these run-ups that we've done that doesn't have as much of our doctor as a character in yeah. it. Yeah, um, he's but, dispatched within the first 45 minutes. Yeah, but he he does have quite the presence and it is, yeah he is he does survive into 40 minutes of the film so now he's not there in the entire 40 minutes no, but, but um there is a lot more of him than say Sylvester McCoy <laughs> in Dracula <laughs> well and he makes a, a effective use of the scenes that he's in I mean, yes. he's only in what three maybe four scenes uh during that 40 minute time frame but when he's on screen, you pay attention, not just because we're a Doctor Who podcast and this is Patrick Troughton and we're reviewing that, but from the standpoint that his involvement in these proceedings is fairly integral and important, but he commands the screen, which really kind of shocked me. Going up against Gregory Peck, I mean, come on, right? <laughs> but he did, and and, and, and kind of went toe-to-toe with him, and... And took it. I mean, he, he yeah. really, you know, no, this is my moment. And, you know, it just just in the in the way that it was played, uh, I was very impressed. I wasn't expecting, because, you know, the second Doctor is not normally that forceful. He, he's, he's more the bumbling clown, at least mm-hmm. that's the image that he projects. Yeah. And this priest is not that at all, ever, no. you know. Um which yeah, it was just it was really cool. I thought he was uh, I thought he was very very good. I w- I was sorry that he wasn't in it more. Yeah, quite agree, honestly, yeah. I I would like to have a, a an Omen prequel that's all about the priest and let Patrick Troughton come back and do that. <laughs> there was word in two thousand one that they were working on a prequel film. Now Patrick Troughton couldn't come back and do it now, but um, that would probably have to involve some of that in him. So. All right, well, should we move on to the second film in our uh, review? Yes. Patient Zero. After an unprecedented global pandemic turns the majority of humankind into violent infected, a man gifted with the ability to speak to the speak the infected's new language leads the last survivors on a hunt for Patient Zero and a cure. Bum, bum, bum. Hmm. I'm not sure where I stand on this film. I it's I think it's a film that's got some really cool ideas that then falls into typical zombie movie tropes that doesn't go anywhere with the ideas they set up. Well, to me it's tailor made for a sequel is is, yeah. is, it, is it's is it's only Nexus Patient or, 1. Not only. It's it's major downfall. Because I think the setup and the concept of the of the film is terrific, and I think that the the performances of the intensity and the the the, the tense atmosphere that that's you know happening because of their circumstances and confined in this bunker is as kind of the last you know vestiges of, of mankind because this evil is trying to find them. I think it, it it's really good. There's a lot there. I think that, unfortunately, it feels like the character development is underserved. And by that I mean yeah. it, it's almost like it's trying too hard to make you sympathize for the people that we should naturally already sympathize with. Mm-hmm. 
And so what happens is you put Matt Smith in there, who I think did a good job, but then you give him an American accent, which I thought <laughs> For he, no reason. Yeah, that's just it. I thought it was passable, but the problem that I had with it was it was a... And, and we go into this knowing what Matt Smith sounds like. He's familiar enough to us. We know he's British. We know he has a British accent. We know he has very British, you know, uh, distinctness to him. To put him in this role, and, and I appreciate them doing that to allow him to kind of show his range or that he can he has the acting chops to pull something off, but it really felt unnecessary, as you said. And it's almost like he they they cast him against type, and he probably took this role against type to right. escape what people expect from him. And again, I appreciate him. I don't fault him for doing that, but it just seemed wrong and out of place. See, in this film. And it, was it, it, it was distracting. It was distracting. You're absolutely right. And it also, I think, hampered his acting a little bit. I think he could have given us a better performance had he done it in his natural accents. Yeah. Because we've seen him do better acting than this in Doctor Who alone. Yeah. I mean, so, and it's, I can't fully believe that's the scripts that would cause that. So I have to kind of blame the accents. Yeah. And not just his. It was so weird Hearing John Bradley have an accent, an American accent. Yeah, see, no, I thought he pulled his off though. His was a little bit better. Yeah, it was. We- I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just weird. <laughs> yeah, and it, it threw me just because I well, expected I to hear, you know, the, Sam. The the thing is though that his he's got a uh, not a range as far as talent, but he has a range as far as octave of his voice that. When I hear him speak in Game of Thrones, I don't hear the British accent as you as heavily as you do with no, with a lower range really of, yeah. of of voice. And so, in this one, it didn't throw me off. In fact, I had forgotten he was a British actor when he was in this He's, talking because yeah. his seemed so natural to me that it didn't take me out of it like it did with Matt Smith. Yeah. So. It, it threw me at first, but I thought his was very believable. Yeah. And then of course, uh, what's her name? Didn't even try. No. <laughs> well, which was fine. I mean, it, it, <laughs> in fact, I wish they had done that with all of them, but right. Although this is a British film and I, I guess there is almost all the actors in this were probably British. Aside from Stanley Tucci. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure everyone who else. probably about, could have pulled off. How about the guy that played the, cur- the Colonel? He probably Knox. He may have been American because his was the most believable American accent. Oh, he was UK too. Yeah, I- Irish, okay. Northern Ireland. Irish. What what was Matt Smith? What region was he doing? Was it the Bronx? Because it was. I hate to nitpick on this accent. It just, in fact, when he first showed up and started speaking, because he does the voiceover narration at the very beginning of the film, and I didn't know it was him. But then he showed up and talked, and it was the same as the voiceover narration of the film. Yeah, right? yeah. Is that Matt Smith? And he walked differently, and he he moved differently, and so all of that was quite impressive because I I honestly didn't know for sure that was him, not just beyond the the you know the buzz cut. Matt Smith, but then he would talk again, and it was like. <laughs> so speaking to his accent, Matt Smith's accent was the closest I can say is trans. I think it's called transcontinental. And transcontinental was an adopted accent that that American actors took on 
in the 1940s and all the way up into the 1950s. I think even the 30s and 40s and 50s. I think it was mostly the 40s and 50s. <coughs> and um, Cary Grant, <coughs> um, Spencer Tracy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you could attribute Cagney. He had more of a bro- uh, Brooklyn accent. But th- there was a, there was an accent that, that actors took on in the 40s that they I think they called it transcontinental because they it 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 was supposed to give them more of a sophistic air in in and and not necessarily a it, it allowed them to have a non-regional dialect as well or accent and so this was almost more in the range of that's what they what what he I don't think he was shooting for this but that's where it ended up landing because right. of that and I've always thought trans uh transcontinental had some British air to it, but also some, you know, kind of Midwestern air to it. You just it was kind of this meld of different regions. So that's where Matt Smith landed for me and ultimately kinda of took me out of the role every once in a while, or took me out of the story once in a, every once in a while. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, it, was just, it was just it was distracting. Um That being I, said, I think overall the movie is fairly enjoyable it moves at a very brisk pace almost too quick and i think there's almost too much going on in it that yeah, it's yeah. too there, there there needs to needed to be more time to develop well with the it. thing is they they want to develop these characters but they also want to move this story along so fast that you're doing a disservice to one or the other right every time i was very um i knew nothing about this going into it other than yeah, I knew nothing either. zombie flick. That's as far as I got. I didn't have the description. I didn't know anything about, you know, what patient zero. So getting right off the bat, I'm infected. I can speak zombie. Oh, okay. That's different. We're looking for patient zero because we're trying to backtrack. Oh, okay. And the whole thing is set in this science lab. And Bunker. it was... The, yeah, well, yeah, the, the mi- military bunker. bunker. But I mean, it's yeah. uh, focusing on the yeah. science aspects of it. It's yeah, not yeah. about the the outbreak. It's not about the um, attack of the of the zombies. It's not about the. It's about we're trying to find this cure, and we need to backtrack this to to figure out what happened. And so right off the bat, I was like, this is not something I have seen. And not that I'm as well versed as you guys, but this isn't something I've seen in a zombie film before. Because normally it's, you know, the outbreak or it's the survival. Those are kind of the two the, the, the two bits of it. But the, this actively looking for the... There's, there's only a handful of films I can think of that kind of did that. And um, not in this way. So I was really intrigued by it. And then I felt like they kind of let that premise down because trying to keep the pacing up, we default to, well, who's patient zero? How would this guy know? I, he, that, that's your that's your question. You're not doing any. There's no detective work there. You're just relying on you know somebody's going to own up and say yeah it's me, you know. And in fact, that kind of felt like where they were setting up Stanley Tucci's character when I he showed that, up. Yeah, that, that he was going to be this um, this patient zero. The other thing is, I understand in a way that they had to be there, but it was frustrating for me to have this really interesting premise and this very quick pace 
that it seemed like we had to stop every five minutes so that we could throw in a traditional zombie trope. Oh, this guy got bit. We've got to hack the arm off. We've got to, you know, we got to him in time. Oh, no, we didn't. We've got to shoot him. Oh, look, we've got a military guy who's kind of a jerk, and he's threatening the project because his ego is, a, oh, look, here's the, you know. They were ticking off the boxes. Yeah, the oh, yeah. yeah, very much so. And I, I, I almost wish, you know, you had done something so unique and different with this part of it I could have really done without the rest of it and still been fine. And I think then when they get overwhelmed and the, you know, the flood of the, the, the floodgates open with everybody coming to the base, that I think almost would have been a bigger, you know, gear shift shock moment. Yeah. Yeah. It may, yeah. Have, may have worked better too, if they weren't ticking off all the boxes before. Um, but I mean, that, that was just me. Um, but then I, I thought Stanley Tucci had a really interesting, when he says there is no patient zero, the rage has always been there, whether it's people mad at the government or mad at the rich people or, you know, you're mad at the guy that cut you off in traffic. We just... Can't keep it in check? Yeah. We're, we're just we're just angry all the time. This, and, this was the next evolution, which they kind of hinted towards. Um, which are discussions of it when they were talking about how they were evolving. Which I think is a, a very cool resolution to that story of where is patient zero, whether it really isn't one, if we can take his word for it. I mean, we don't know for sure. But then the fact that it just becomes a, well, we're going to take you out, you know, we're going to, this was all just a ruse to get in the base was such a, for me, a disappointment that they've done such unique things and they've, you know, they had the two in captivity to set up, you know, the rules of how this this virus works and why there's the music for each one. And then, Oh look, here's a guy that's not affected by the music and all everything's so different about him just to have him be smart enough to lead them in to take the base down. It was kind of a disappointing and predictable outcome yeah. for such a cool idea and setup. The other what? thing that disappointed me was, okay, Matt Smith can speak this language for some reason. Why is that? It's in my blood. I don't know. That's all we ever get. That's that's why I think it's it. It can be a meld of both. I think it is a virus. I think it is a virus that started that this that there was a patient zero, but I think what what has happened is the the virus is, has unlocked an evolution in the people that are infected, and that's why we get to this point of having this other language that comes from the blood. It's almost like the the virus is a symbiotic uh, entity. And that's why they can communicate once, you know, beyond being infected in this other language. And so that's what I, I sort of took from that. But So does that mean Matt Smith was always angry before or was he just that mellow? See, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy the unlocking anger thing. I think it's an element of the virus does bring out the innate human urge or rage or or anger in us but i think that still at its core it's it, it's a virus that 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 so i guess what you're saying is it doesn't really answer why he's able to kind of suppress that the, uh, they, even yeah. though he has this virus he is a carrier of this and, virus. and they don't explore whatever treatments they're well, that's she's for the, giving that's him for the and... sequel though <laughs> But they but destroyed the whole lab, so they can't really explore I know where patient sequel. zero is, though, is the thing. Well, that's fine. Patient zero was one of those three people that went in to let those monkeys out. <laughs> that's true. Over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> 
to me, watching this, is a 28 this days film, later movie. <laughs> this is a 28 days later movie. 28 There's, years later. There is no reason. There is no reason for this not to exist in that same this universe. Is what, this my, this should have been 28 weeks later, exactly. not what 28 You're weeks exactly later actually right. was. You're exa- now, I don't know because I haven't seen 28 weeks later. but I, I thought that too as watching I, I it, that they're not this actual going, zombies. This, this so could fit in that same universe, and I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't. <laughs> Maybe it's like Cloverfield, and it really is. Maybe. Or it's part part of the Cloverfield Cloverfield universe. universe. In in my head canon, it is part of the... uh, I mean, it's just the U.S. base. Uh, Well, you know, this could even be, you know... I think once it jumped the quarantine of the U.K. and got got overseas. If we we follow the pattern of 28 days later, 28 weeks later, what would come next would be 28 months. months. Yeah, there you go. And we know that it's at least a year and a half that they've been dealing with this. You know, a little bit more of a two years, but a little more than two years. But we don't know. We, we can't pin down the exact date, so maybe it could it just be a year and a half since it jumped the quarantine. Yeah, you've got me convinced now. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> it's super rabies, and it's twenty eight weeks later, or twenty yeah. twenty months later. Cool. I like it there better you now. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that I didn't like it no, to begin I, with. And I, I did I, not I, like it either. I thought it was. A, you know, it was a good movie. It was. It was. It was it oddly enjoyable. It was just right. a little. It's got a little. It's, it's got, got a lot of flaws. flaws. Yeah. But the performances in it, even with Matt Smith's accent, I think are just watching Matt Smith and Stanley Tucci square off against each other. Mm-hmm. And Those covers. are his best moments yeah. in, in any of the, the scenes where he's in there interrogating uh, one of the infected. Those are his best scenes. Yeah. Um, and beyond, that's when the movie's the most that, interesting. I couldn't. I couldn't get into I I just didn't think he nailed it with the 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 fiance that was or i guess they were they were married the the wife that's locked up because she's infected i couldn't get i couldn't get the connection the emotion i couldn't get the connection of of the emotion although it seemed to be all sexual tension with the the him and the his the the, the scientist Doctor, lady yeah i I, did, I couldn't get anything and i just i thought she her best moments are when she's confronting the colonel, but beyond that, I just didn't think she did all yeah. that great either. So. Well, th- both romantic subplots almost feel unnecessary when he himself is infected, so he doesn't need any more motivation other than self-preservation to find patient zero. Because they paint it with his major motivation is to cure his wife. And then it gets muddled with the sexual tension with Natalie Dormer, and it's unnecessary. You could have the sexual tension with Natalie Dormer and not have the wife subplot because he has his own built-in motivation. You're, yeah, you're well, see, I don't even know that that's necessarily true, though, because being a carrier but not exhibiting any of the symptoms. But they talk about, you know, whatever cure, whatever she's injecting him with is is partially keeping it at bay. We don't get an explanation of what that is. But I got the impression that He's starting to slip. He is slipping well towards that. No, she, she was withdrawing monster. from him she, to inject well, into no, the wife. There's two things there. She's taking his blood in order to, yeah, inject into the wife or, or, or create, generate something, cre- create and then... an an antitoxin and inject it into the wife. But he, she was also giving him pills. That were I presumed were probably along the lines of a tranquil not tranquilizers uh, valium, valium or something <laughs> some sort of because downer. I think they were 
being cautious because you know, she'd take his blood pressure and she was checking all his vitals and things like that because I think they were being conscious of he couldn't get too worked up because they were afraid that it might trigger the rage that comes from this virus. So they were actively trying to control his emotion and his rage. But she wasn't injecting him with anything. They, mm. I think it was probably just yeah. Valium or something that she kept giving him. Because she kept telling him, did you take your medicine? You know, and, and, and The other part of that... I didn't see. I took it the other way because she asked him, did you get any sleep? And I just thought... It's that, sleep. She asked that know. too. Yeah. It was, I think it was, a, it was a series of different things that, they're, that he's, he's got a regiment to keep him calm. The other thing that I th- I thought was interesting that makes me wish we are we would get a sequel is the idea of okay if you have this subplot in there and now she's pregnant but he's infected what does that mean for the child? Well, I think what set that that's up, that's a setup for the sequel. What set though. that up nicely too though is I don't think that uh, the, the 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 really clever thing about this is the is the patient zero swap yeah. is the fact that when Toji's character comes in there. And he says, you know, the reason why they infiltrated is because they're looking for their patient zero. Right. They're looking for the opposite thing that they're looking for because they want the guy. Why are you, why are you infected but not exhibiting the, the rage that everybody else has? And so, which I thought was clever. I thought that was cool. I didn't see Gives that. It's good coming. motivation for him. Yeah. yeah. And so, but what that tells me then on top of that is you could do a sequel where they managed to end up taking out what they think is patient zero, but the child survives and he, and he has passed along whatever this is that he has mm-hmm. to his child mm-hmm. and the child ends up having to, uh, you know, be the, the problem. So, so you could take out Matt Smith's character right away. If he away. doesn't want to come back at all. Yeah, or, yeah. or he comes back and does a cameo and they kill him in the first five minutes or ten minutes, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you could easily do that. And then, you know, you know, 28 years later... <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> the, the the child is is now trying to find the cure. There's a lot. There's so much potential in this of what they've done, even not tying into Twenty Eight Days Later. <laughs> that, that's that's the frustrating thing. Like you know, you, you mentioned the 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 three way um, romance angle between the three of them, which could have been interesting. If if we had left it intact, you know, if 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 the wife had made it out at the end with them, okay, now I'm really kind of curious how is that going to work? Yeah, you know, but it becomes a very oh noble sacrifice for me. You go live with your your new woman and the baby because I'm infected and I'm not going to make it anyway. <laughs> when, there, when there's so much other stuff going on in the movie, it becomes yeah. unnecessary. <clears throat> Again, I think that becomes were, tropey. Yeah, they were trying to cram too many things in here, and then by taking the trope boxes, it just really kind of made it a little chaotic. So, and once again, who has air shafts that big <laughs> that you can crawl through them and turn around and come back? Because I'm looking at this going, I wasn't getting out of there. If that's your escape <laughs> plan, it's like, nope, not happening. I think some of the most intense moments was when that thing started bending down, and I kept thinking, that was worse than the zombies breaking into the place. I thought was the, yeah. the fact that they were going to plummet out of that thing. And I will say the, uh, the 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 base being overrun was effective for the horror factor. Um, you know, seeing <clears throat> seeing this chaos of 
nobody's ready for it. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they're just, they were caught completely with their pants down. And the military gets overrun very quickly, and the civilians are screaming and being eaten. And just, I mean, that was pretty horrible. And the, the, the carnage of that was like, yeah, that was, I, I, I felt like that was pretty effective for horror movie standards, you know, that maybe uh, not. It was par for the course. Yeah, it was, it was, it was all right. I, I didn't think it was outstanding in my opinion, but yeah, it was, it was sufficient. <laughs> Just me. Sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you've seen a lot of <laughs> zombie based under siege movies, you've seen a bunch of them. So, yeah. All I right. Kinda, I honestly kind of tuned out doing a lot of that because well, I've seen this before. Yeah, that's, I, I, well, it's, it's, that's when it kind of divulges into your standard zombie flick. Yeah. And I thought the same thing when I got to that point. I was like, and then I kind of just actually, sadly, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, let's get past. You know, when's this going to be over? You know, I was just really was because I had been engaged with what they were doing up until that point, and then it just kind of As once once the invasion starts, yeah. it kind of lost my interest a little bit. You're all heartless. <laughs> all right, Sean. Well, what do we got coming up next on the schedule? Well, next on the schedule, it's Halloween. And that will conclude our Beyond the Doctor series. Uh, we are going to be doing I Monster with Richard Herndl, uh, which is free on Daily Motion for those of you that like to follow along. And like to watch commercials every four minutes, three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I should probably start on that one now. Because <laughs> yeah, because it's going to take that long. Be, to get there's going to be 200 commercials in that day. Um, and Paul McGann in Afraid of the Dark. And and <laughs> just confirming. Yep. And William Hartnell in Midnight at Madame Trousseau's. 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 It's spelled Trousseau, but it's, it's French. Yeah, it's Trousseau. Um, yeah, it's actually spelled and, Tussards. But <laughs> Tussards. Stupid French. And again, that one that one is a difficult one to get a hold of. So good luck. <laughs> All right, well, be sure to check out our website for any updates that you might find, travelingthevortex.com. And while you're there, please click on our Patreon link and consider supporting us. And remember, you can send your comments and feedback to feedback at travelingthevortex.com or by clicking on the Send Feedback link. Until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. And I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.